from around the world. This is the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Sonic Society with Jack and David and David yes how are you doing I'm very well thanks how are you I'm good it's been a busy week on the Sonic Society and the EVP podcast yes you know we've got another double feature coming up this week with Millie Foster Macabre investigator oh where oh where can she be from Mike Murphy and at Misfits Audio Mm -hmm. And and our second show is Our Fair City Mm-hmm. The show's called Raise Your Glass, I believe, too. Two fantastic audios for a new season. Now, we also had a release on Friday, last Friday. Yes, it was so exciting! Finally! A brand new show. Yes. Did you get a chance to listen I to it I have yet? listened to it, yes. What are your thoughts? I'm interested. I, I was One thing that, that really surprised me was hearing you as, yes. as a main character in an audio drama. I thought that was brilliant! It's like, here he well, is! Yeah, just I should tell this story because we have mm. a moment or two. I don't. Yes. Did I ever tell you why I, I Biff Straker came to be? I, I don't think you did. And and if you did tell me five years ago when I was actually <laughs> over there recording with you, I, I it's it's gone. I don't so, know. Yeah. yeah, no, I um I was working at a camp for mentally handicapped folks for many years. Um, it was Camp uh, Camp Bellwood for those people who want to know. And uh, one year, uh, the last year, I was the outtripping director. And I was all of you know twenty one years of age and quite quite uh, in good shape for that for that time <laughs> of my life. And I was I was driving a truck and there were a whole bunch of these people that volunteered to build a, a building for us. They were called junior entrepreneurs and they were there to build a building. And um, I was quite sweet on one of the girls that was there, <laughs> um, and we got got along quite well a little later on. But uh, in the meantime, I was working in this truck and I put the truck. Um, in gear and I went behind it and it popped out of gear and the truck came backwards and hit me oh, no. and all these people are watching me and I'm like trying to push them because it hit my back and my arms and I pushed it back and then I jumped in and put in the emergency brake and I guess she told me later on they said oh you know what a biff he is you know this this guy he's, he's good looking but he doesn't have any brains and I thought <laughs> wow that is the first time in my life that somebody said I wasn't smart it's not that people thought I was brilliant but to actually say I was stupid um Based upon my looks, I would thought, okay, I gotta create a character named Biff that is going to be an alternate me. So I created Biff Straker, who was quite dumb when the first time I created him, but a, a genuinely good guy. Yes. And since I recreated him now, he still is a little naive about things, and he's still, you know, he's not as swift as many of the other people in the room. Mm. But he's he's a, he's he's always learning. He's always wanting to do the right thing. Yeah, and and, and, and he he stepped up to the uh, to for for those people who haven't listened to the episode. He he did step up to to what he was expected to do, despite yeah. it being quite quite daunting. I think it's 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 fair to say. Um, dangerous (laughs) i love the line the doctor he goes doc am i gonna die the doctor says oh i don't think so (laughs) (laughs) it's just this (laughs) 
and he still does it, right? So <laughs> that was one of the more humorous lines that I threw in there. We did get some good comments back from uh, from the show too. Craig uh, Robotham said, "Hi, Jack." And this, he's a very famous writer of uh, of his own pulp stuff. My kids and I just sat together and listened to your first episode. Great stuff. You really captured that old-time serial feel. And Biff's square-jawed yet naive heroism came through beautifully. Aww. We love your soundscape, too. Very immersive. Yes. What a great mm-hmm. beginning. A particular, I particularly want to let you know that we've been waiting eagerly for Biff's arrival since you first mentioned him to me sometime last year. It was definitely worth the wait. Well done. My kids are now fans and looking forward to the next episode in Biff's Adventures. Oh, I couldn't ask brilliant. For more. That's great, Craig. Thank you so much. Um, and the last one was just a, there's a, been lots of them, but I wanted to pick just a couple. One was on this, uh, the Sonic Society page. It's from J-Man. He says, this is genius. You really capture the feel of those old radio shows. Great work. So that's fun. Um, I, I just want to do good work with this show. I really have a great love for this. It took me, I tell people, it took me like 30 years to develop exactly how I wanted it to be. So I hope mm. it works out. One one other thing that was quite interesting for me was was hearing Eric Benson as the as the professor. Yes. Uh, and, and having met him five years ago and, and i remember yeah. that that big recording session that we had in your apartment back then oh and right. that was so much fun and and oh yeah i miss eric he's moved to toronto i've said this before in the ebb podcast but yeah he's moved to toronto and i haven't but i haven't seen him in a couple of years because he's doing very well as a director in toronto right oh, now good. Yeah. um yeah he went to stratford festival and learned from there mm. um and has has gone further ahead it's been fantastic yeah. so um so expect more biff in uh less than two weeks so week friday is our second episode and yeah 15 which means it doesn't end until april brilliant so that's really kind of cool we're going to be a yeah. long run and then again that's first season year zero i'm i'm planning at least eight seasons so it's going to yeah. be a long ride. Yes. Move over, Red Panda. There's a, <laughs> there's a new hero. No, I wish I was as good as that. But it's 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 going to be fun regardless. Yes. Yes. Um. Also on the Sonic Society uh, website, I just posted a little link to Tony Palermo's uh, uh, treatise on writing radio horror stories. So if you go to SonicSociety.org, you get a chance to see that little post mm. and a link on his suggestions about writing horror stories um using for radio drama i mean we're getting closer and closer to halloween mm. and that's like everybody's favorite time that's like i think that's the audio drama's mm. mecca time like <laughs> yeah. everybody comes and does horror stories in halloween yes um, well of course there's oh, there's so many different podcasts out there that are doing that are doing horror and, and whether it be the sort of straight um, narrative of the No Sleep podcast or Tales mm-hmm. to Terrify, uh, right the way through to to full cast audio dramas. It's it's something that that continues uh, year round, uh, and and I have to say that I am very much a devotee of horror audio. Uh, I I absolutely love it. Um, well, he he does point out. He says, and he's he's absolutely right that. Um, horror audio drama um, is 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 really powerful because they do you know in your mind you do all the work and mm, we creep mm-hmm. ourselves out all the time oh, without yes. radio drama <laughs> so the odd creak and stuff like that can really <laughs> set people off. Yes. Um, so, 
Speaking of hist of sort of mystery and horror and stuff like that, I just received news, and that will this will be up as a post on on Sonic Society in the next day or two. Three Agatha Christie plays that were lost have been found in the BBC archive. Ooh! So that's really kind of cool, and they're going to be available of digital download and CD from Penguin Random House. And for those people who want to know what they are, they were lost for fifty years, and they are Butter in the Lordly Dish, Murder in the Muse and personal call and they were first broadcast between 1948 and 1960 fully restored and uh, it's going to be coincide with her 125th anniversary of her birth mm. so really interesting stuff wow yes looking forward to that yes definitely any news on your end no <laughs> <laughs> i caught you the wrong time well there is some news you're going to be doing a radio play for me that's true Yes, that's right. This weekend, we're going to be we're going to go and re revisit some older radio plays and possibly do some uh, remaking of them. And one of them is Name Please, which I'm really looking forward. You're going to be doing that with who? With uh, a lady called Erica Sanderson. Uh, she is a, an actress, a writer, a director from over here in the UK. Uh, I met her while I was living down in Buckinghamshire, and she is, uh, well, we we did Pinta on stage together. We weren't actually on stage at the same time, because I was being the Italian waiter in Betrayal, um, <laughs> which is great fun, because, uh, I, I, yeah, obviously the, the favourite line of the waiter is, hey, traffico, uh, and they, um, <laughs> that, that, was, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, she's a, an excellent actress, and uh, she, I, I got her co-opted into... The No Sleep podcast, and she has been given such a broad range of roles uh, on there. Uh, she's been everything from uh, a young Russian boy to uh, uh, American to being British, uh, both uh, RP received pronunciation to, to to high British to. You know, she's she's so flexible and such a brilliant actress. Uh, that um, I think she is very much going to uh, going to make your writing sing even more than it does already because oh, uh, I, I'm excited. I, I've said before how I how much I love your writing, and it's not just because I'm I'm your co-host on the Sonic Society or anything like that. But um, but no, you you we've it's it's one of those things when you're acting with a script, a good actor can make a a, a script. It, it can fly. It, it can well, it can certainly go. But if you've got good materials to work with, then the actor just doesn't have to do anything, in a way. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the combination of no, I think the combination of the two, the, the good acting and the good writing, uh, it's. It, it, it's yeah. that's gold. I mean, I think we solidified our our uh, our friendship over Soul Survivor. We I mean, did. I, yes, we, we had a really good friendship <laughs> that we built out of nothing, and then we did Soul Survivor, and and I think we're going to do that one again too. That'll be fun. oh, that would be brilliant. I I just remember sitting on the sofa and and reading through it, and 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 we and I got to the end, and I, I, and I, the the whole world was was just ripped away from under me when when we got to that ending, and I just thought no. No, you can't do that. No. I'm so glad. I'm so it glad was... that uh, you were horrified for that. I was. <laughs> uh, that, that was... Oh, uh, it, it was such an amazing piece of writing. 
It was powerful for me too. I really appreciate it. And I and I there is a there's an element of I really enjoyed mythic writing those mm. kind of mythic tales. Mm-hmm. But now we have a double feature we to do. listen to. Yes. We could go on forever, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. but we've got stuff for you guys to listen to. So let us head right off to Misfits Audios. Oh, where oh where can she be? And right after that, our fair city. Raise your glass. Raise your glass. Season six, episode eleven. January 11, 7.03 p.m. Location, the master bathroom of Tim, Emily, and little Rebecca Houston, age four and three quarters. (laughs) You like your tub, don't you, sweetie? I do, I do. (laughs) I'm glad, but it's time to get out now. Dry off and put your PJs on. Do I have to? Yes, the water's getting cold, and I don't want you to catch a chill. (gasps) Will Daddy be home soon? Not for another hour or so. He had to work late at the office. He'll be asleep when he gets home. Will he come into my room and kiss me goodnight? Doesn't he always? Okay, time to pull the plug out. Don't! But, honey... I'm afraid. Of what? Going down the drain. (laughs) That's not possible. Who gave you such a silly idea? Patty Costa at daycare. Did she? I'll have to have a little chat with her mother. You mean I won't go down the drain? Of course not. You've taken lots of baths. Have you ever gone down the drain? No. But Patty said there's a first time for everything. It won't happen. I'll show you. Give me your rubber ducky. Thank you. Now, to show you that Patty doesn't know what she's talking about, I need to pull the plug from the drain. But I'll... You'll be fine. Would your daddy or I ever do anything to harm you? No. You'll be safe. I promise. Okay? Okay. Mommy? You're fine. Watch Rubble Ducky. See, honey? Rubber Ducky won't go down the drain, will he? No. And why is that? He's too big. He won't fit. Right. And you're bigger than Rubber Ducky, aren't you? Uh-huh. So you won't go down the drain either. Come on, let's get you ready for bed. What the? It all started when Principal Conklin called me into his office that Friday afternoon. Miss Foster, I'm going to have to let you go. Our budget has been cut and I need to make some staff reductions. But I've been teaching here for 16 years. Please clean out your desk and be off the school grounds by 4 o'clock. 
That night, my friend Magda invited me out for strong drinks, light appetizers, and chat at a local pub. Do you want to stay in teaching? I don't know. Oh, what other skills do you have? I... I'm very well read. Commendable, if unmarketable. I'm a great student of the macabre. Doesn't that mean spooky stuff? Like uh, ghosts and witches? Among other things, it's fascinating. There you go. You've lost me. Open the phone book. What do you see? Hmm? Service people. Doctors, plumbers, lawyers. People who want to help other people with their problems and make a buck while doing it. Maybe you could somehow make a living dealing with the macabre. At first, I chuckled at Magda's suggestion. But the more I pondered it, the more I wondered. I had made a lot of friends during my time at Franklin Pierce High. I asked around. I've had a problem with a ghost for years. With a mummy! With a goblin! A banshee. My little town was ripe with weirdness just waiting to be solved, and people who would pay good money to make these things go away. So, along with my mild-mannered teaching assistant, Woodrow, who had also been laid off that Friday, I opened a small office in my converted barn and hung out my supernatural shingle. Vampires, werewolves, zombies, they're just like us, except they drink your blood and are covered in fur and want to eat your brain. And it's all part of the job. What a girl won't do to earn a living. Misfits Audio presents Aware, Aware Can She Be? Episode 1 of Millie Foster, Macabre Investigator. The series stars Natalie Stanfield Thomas as Millie and Glenn Haskell as Woodrow. Woodrow, you're still here? It's late. I wanted to catch up on some paperwork. Thanks for staying. Uh, You're welcome, Ms. Foster. How many times have we gone over this? What? You don't have to call me Ms. Foster. But I always have. That may have been the rule back at Franklin Pierce High when you were my teaching assistant. You're not that now. Thanks to Principal Conklin. Let's not get into that again. He's not worth the effort. What should I call you? Hmm, How about Millie? I don't know. You're still my boss. I insist. All right. Millie? I see, Woodrow. Was that so tough? No. But since we're on the topic of names... Uh Uh-huh. I've never really liked my name. No? I've always thought it sounded very distinguished. Maybe, but it doesn't sound... hep. (laughs) Hep? It's not... uh, manly. What do you want me to call you? Uh, How about... Woody? Works for me. Starting now, we're Millie and Woody. Great. Uh, Did you tie up the Stewart case? Yes, I dropped their check in the ATM on the way home. It should cover this month's bills. I don't know how you do it. It? This job. It's a living. Aren't you scared? Sometimes. But I have one big advantage over the things I deal with. What's that? Knowledge. I don't follow you. Well, for example, I know that you need a wooden stake and a mallet to kill a vampire. I know that a silver bullet gets rid of a werewolf. I know that to kill a zombie you have to... to... How do you kill a zombie again? You're asking me? It'll come to me. (laughs) Senior moment in progress. I hope that's not about a zombie. Google that for me while I answer the phone, will you please? Hello? 
The desperate-sounding man on the other end of the line introduced himself as Tim Houston. He told me a bit about what had happened and said he urgently needed my help. I drove to Mercy Hospital to meet him. Mr. Houston? Yes? I'm Millie Foster. You called me? Yeah, yes, yes, I did. Please, sit. Thanks for coming so quickly. You're welcome. How's your daughter? The doctors are examining her now. They suggested that I step out here and get some air for a few minutes. They should be done soon. That's her room, number 93. How can I help you? I heard from somebody, I, I can't remember who, that you deal with odd and unusual cases. Is that right? It is. I have something like that on my hands. Tell me what happened. It all started about an hour and a half ago. I had called Emily, my wife, around 4.30 to tell her that I'd be stuck at the office later than I had thought. Probably until about 7. She said she'd get Rebecca, her daughter, into bed and wait up for me. I got home a little after 8. I parked the car in the driveway and headed up the walk to the house. I was looking forward to nothing more than a quick bite to eat and then bed. I was beat. Unfortunately, that was not to be. Emily? Honey, I'm home. Huh. She must be with Becky. I walked down the hall to Becky's room. Empty. The covers hadn't even been turned down. It was then that I noticed the bathroom light was on. That's when I found Becky, sitting naked in the back of the tub, shivering, her teeth chattering. She didn't seem to notice me. Honey, what's wrong? Where's Mommy? Becky didn't respond. She looked straight ahead, staring at nothing I could see. I wrapped several towels around her, lifted her gently from the tub, and carried her to her room. Emma laid out pajamas. I put Becky in them and then called the cops and an ambulance. Did you find your wife? No. The cops had all kinds of theories. Maybe she went to visit a neighbor. Maybe she went for a walk or, or took a quick ride to the store. And leave your little girl in the tub? Exactly. She would never have done that. You explained that to the police? I did. I showed them her car, still in the garage. Her coat and purse still on their hooks. There was no sign of any struggle. It's like she vanished. That's why you called me. Yes. Something's happened to her. Something strange. Can you help me? I'll do everything I can. Thank you. Mr. Houston? Yes, Doctor. How's... How's Becky? Your daughter seems to be in a state of shock. Shock? From... From what? We're not sure. Is this woman a family member? She's a friend. You can talk in front of her. If you say so. Doctor, could the girl be in shock from witnessing whatever happened to her mother? Very likely. Has she said anything? Not a word. We've brought her body temperature back up to normal. She's resting comfortably. How long does shock last? That's very difficult to say. It varies widely, depending on the person and what he or she witnessed that caused the shock. Is there any way to speed it along? What are you thinking of? If Becky did witness what happened to your wife, we need to get that information out of her. Doctor, what can we safely do? 
Hypnosis. Yes. Will it work in her current condition? I believe so. Some drug should make her more open to it. Could it harm her? She's not even five years old. I don't see how, but we'll monitor her closely. The hypnosis might even have a cathartic effect. What do you mean? Well, if Rebecca does in fact know what happened to her mother, regressing her through hypnosis could possibly bring her out of her shock. By telling us what occurred, she'd get it off her chest, so to speak. It must revolve around her bath time. Could you regress her to that moment? Certainly. I'll need to know her nightly schedule so I can regress her properly. No problem. You're sure the hypnosis and drugs can't harm her? We'll take every precaution. Millie, what do you think? I don't see that you have any choice. Something put your girl in shock. We need to find out what. Mr. Houston, do I have your permission for the procedure? Yes. Yes, yes, you do. Becky Houston was a petite thing with long blonde curls. She sat upright in her hospital bed, her back propped against some pillows, her gown a little too big for her. Her eyes looked empty. A few doctors and nurses were present, monitoring a variety of beeping and buzzing equipment. Dr. Mallory gave Becky the shot she had mentioned. Becky didn't even flinch when the needle pierced her small arm. Before long, Mallory had her hypnotized and regressed back to the time of her bath earlier that evening. That's when we all first heard the story of the thing that had grabbed her mother and pulled her kicking and screaming down the drain, and then returned for Becky's rubber ducky. Doc, do something! Becky, I'm going to count to three. When I reach three, you will wake up. Your daddy is here and you are safe. Do you understand? Yes. One. Two. Three. Oh, daddy. Daddy. It's okay. I'm here, honey. I'm here. After several minutes, Tim Houston managed to calm his little girl down while the doctors and nurses tended to her. We talked quietly in a corner of the room. I'm not comfortable leaving Becky alone. Isn't there someone you could call to come here for a while? I I suppose my sister-in-law might be able to come. Becky really likes her. Why? We have to go to your house. But Becky... We'll be fine with all these doctors and nurses around. You and I need to go see what we're dealing with down that tub drain, or it won't be safe for you and Becky to return to that house ever again. After Houston's sister-in-law arrived, the two of us hurried to his home. I stole a quick peek at the tub drain. Nothing. I found it hard to believe that Emily Houston had been pulled down the drain in her entirety without leaving so much as a drop of blood behind. However, at the moment, I had no reason to doubt the story Rebecca had told us under hypnosis. Houston and I agreed that we needed to perform a test. It wasn't long before he came back to the bathroom with the things I had asked for. Is this all right? Perfect. Give me the fishing rod, please. It's never been baited with raw meat before. No one's ever tried to catch what we're fishing for before. Here goes. Right down the drain. What the hell? Whoa! Mr. Houston? Yes? We have a problem. Oh, there. 
That's six patio bricks. Those should keep that thing out of the tub. We'll have to block all the drains in the house. There's no reason it couldn't use any of them. I have more bricks in the shed. How did that thing not get Becky, too? You said you found her in the very back of the tub. That's right. She was probably out of its reach. Thank God for that. What is it, Millie? Where could it have come from? I don't know what it is, but it must live in the sewers. But the house isn't connected to the sewers. No? They're not available out here. We have a septic tank. So all the drains in the house empty into that one tank. Right. Whenever we flush the toilet, take a shower, use the water in any way, everything goes into that tank. And you get it pumped out every, what, year? Every other. It was pumped a year ago, May. (laughs) That's a job you couldn't pay me enough to do. Even with all the chemicals we put in there to break down the bacteria, what a smell when they pop that lid off. What happens to the tank's contents when it's pumped? The guys siphon everything into their truck with a long hose. I'm not sure what happens to it after that. This thing must have gotten into your septic tank. I don't see how. We have to get it tested every time it's pumped to make sure it's up to code. No leaks that could allow wastewater into the ground. It's always passed. Then it must have gotten inside the tank when you last had the lid off. The thing Becky described? I'm sure it didn't look like that back then. It could have been any animal, a squirrel or a stray cat, for instance. You mentioned all the chemicals you put into the tank. Whatever got in there must have mutated into what it is now in order to survive in its new environment. I don't see a choice. We have to kill it. Agreed. But how? We'll need to pop the tank's lid and coax the thing out. We'll put down some bait. It likes raw meat, so it wants to leave the tank to eat. Are you serious? It already killed my wife. This thing is deadly. Exactly why we need to kill it as soon as possible. We should get the police in on this. They wouldn't believe you. But if they... There's no time. Your plan sounds pretty dangerous. That's why I'll be near the bait and you won't. Billy, you can't. I'll need to be close to get a good shot at it. The meat may not be enough to tempt it out of the tank. It may want... more. You can't put yourself in that situation for my family. Don't worry about me. You saw how quick this thing is. It could be on you before you know it. I'm trying not to think about that. Ever do any shooting? No. I don't believe in guns. I've got two pistols in my car. One for each of us. But I've never fired a gun. Then it's time for a crash course. We need to get this thing as soon as possible. Right after sunrise would be good, before it has the chance to do any more harm. I can't... It's our only choice. You'd better call the hospital and make sure your sister-in-law or another relative can stay with Becky until we finish our job. I need you here, Mr. Houston. I can't do this on my own. The next morning, bright and early, I positioned Mr. Houston on the porch overlooking the backyard. Along with the other bait, I stood near the septic tank's lid, gun in hand. With the help of a crowbar, I opened the lid of the tank. The smell would have knocked a buzzard off a gut wagon. It didn't take long for the creature to smell its next meal. The thing was tall, maybe seven feet tall, and reeked of its tank home. Whatever fur had once covered it now hung off its body like rotting seaweed and swayed with its every move. It paused briefly at the pile of meat and then, sensing that I was a threat or tastier or both, it sprang at me. Mr. Houston fired twice at the thing but didn't even wing it. In a few quick seconds, the creature was in front of me. It knocked the gun from my hand with such force that it opened a long gash in my palm. 
The Thing and I faced each other like boxers sizing their opponents up in the ring. I saw Mr. Houston quickly descend the porch stairs to the yard, trying to get closer to take a better shot. No! Get back! Hearing me yell, the creature turned for a moment to see what was happening behind it. I ran to the garden shed where the patio bricks had been stored. I ripped open the door. I had found what I needed. I grabbed the pitchfork hanging on the wall, charged at the thing, and ran it through! The thing let out a deafening roar as I jammed the pitchfork into its gut, through its body and out its back. Purple goo blood poured from its wound onto the green grass. The creature tried in vain to get a grip on the tool and pull it out. Seconds later, it stopped, swayed like a drunken man, and collapsed on its side at my feet. It flinched wildly for a few seconds before it loudly exhaled and died. The local authorities came and took the creature's carcass away. The boss of the group said he had never seen anything like it. I wish I could tell you what the thing was, but the results of the necropsy aren't in yet. Whatever it was, it was deadly. Rebecca has been released from the hospital, but will sadly require extensive therapy for what she witnessed. The services for her mom are being planned. I'll be certain to stop by and pay my respects. Tim Houston has promised me that the next time he has the septic tank pumped, he'll be out there to make certain that nothing finds its way inside. I'll have a clothespin on my nose, he said, but I'll be out there. You have been listening to Oh Where, Oh Where Can She Be? Episode 1 of Millie Foster, Macabre Investigator. The series stars Natalie Stanfield Thomas as Millie and Glenn Haskell as Woodrow. Guest starring in this episode, in order of appearance, were Karen Gerstman as Emily Houston, Lila Burzens as Rebecca Houston, Mark Jones as Principal Conklin, Trisha Groves as Magda, Deb Adams as Woman Number One, Ted Wenskis as Man Number One, Fiona Thrale as Woman Number Two, Jan Anderson as Man Number Two, Russell Gold as Tim Houston and Melissa Exelberth as Dr. Mallory. The series was created, produced, and written by Mike Murphy. Assistant producer, Captain John Tadrazak. Post-production was accomplished by Alex Lossford. Music for the series was composed and performed by John Carl Toth. It is copyright 2014 and is used with his permission. To hear more of his music, please visit his website at johnnytoth.wix.com music. Script editor, Arlene Osborne. Art director, Alexa Chipman. Webmaster, Captain John Tadrazak. This production is copyright 2014 by Misfits Audio and is intended for enjoyment purposes only. All the characters portrayed in this series are fictitious. Any resemblance to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. Please visit us on the web at misfitsaudio.com and on Facebook. This is your narrator, Fran McClellan, speaking. This episode of Our Fair City is brought to you by Emporium. Emporium hosts awesome game, beer, food, and live music events daily in Wicker Park and Logan Square. Visit EmporiumChicago.com for more info. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by the company you depend upon for all of your greatest needs, Heart Life. These stories are true dramatizations from our fair city's glorious history. So listen and remember. Heart Life. 
all the life you'll ever need. Welcome back, dear policies. With the timely intervention of Dr. Caligari's pheromone bomb, the siege of Putrescible Wastefield 3 is broken. The ants have been driven back into the tunnels. The Hendersonians whoop and jeer like barbarians, celebrating their victory like the heretics they are with the time-honored tradition of bullshit. One of the bugs has me fancy, weighted down by one of its demonly claws. And who should come from nowhere? A fire axe in each hand, screaming like a banshee. But our very old clear skies, Tim. Anyone would have done the same. Heedless to the danger, he flings himself on the beast, hacking away like a new typist in the steno pool. And then, pow, out comes an eye. And then, pow, out comes another the ant, she howls her clickety howl and makes as if to bite our boy Tim. But he's ready with the axe and lops off her mandibles. And even after he lops them off, they still wriggle on the ground like she's trying to bite his ankles. <laughs> so off comes its head and he helps me to my feet and we ready ourselves for the next assault. And it was only then that we got our special delivery from good old Dr. Caligari! Aren't you guys forgetting something? What's that, Allison? Oh, just this barrel of whiskey I liberated from upstairs. Hey, Sully, want a drink? Tim's been making celebratory goblets. Out of ants' heads. Don't worry, we cleaned him out. Cutting that whiskey with formic acid can only improve it. Thanks, babe. <laughs> hey, it's the Brothers Showbook, sir. Say that three times fast. Hey, huh? Get your whiskey, Archie? Jack? What do you say, Jack? Anything to dull the pain, Harry. Anything to dull the pain. Nice wheels, Jack. Yeah? You like them? We made it out of people mover parts. I was telling Harry right here He that... always wanted to sit in the conductor's chair when we were kids. I finally got my wish. And enough of the people move is gone now that you can move in and out of the gullet and back into the tunnels. The tunnels are open again? Don't worry, Sully. Uh, the old man posted a watch. I think Stephen's out there now. No, no, this is great news. Now that you defeated the ants... Don't be modest. Now that we defeated the ants, I can go into the tunnels and search for my family. You're going? Yeah, man, I'm going. Hey, all of you. I've got something to say. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast. I just learned that I can go back to the tunnels again. And that means it's time for me to go out there and find my family. It means it's time for me to leave you. My kids are out there. And I know my mother's still alive. I can feel it. We've done so much. And soon, so soon, guys, we'll be home again. We lost some good friends these past days. Roughneck Jake... Pearl, Honey Beller, Jamie Calabash, Pretty Franco, and that's just a handful of them. Our family. My family. Raise your glass, and let's drink. Let's drink to my family. To Sully's family!
train for a few minutes, working to correct the problem. We hope to be moving shortly. Man, I, I can't believe you're going. What with the ants driven back and all? There's no better time to get into the tunnels. My girls might be hiding in an old warren. Won't it be dangerous? I like danger, Grayson. Kind of my thing now. The whole reckless heroic. Oh yeah, me too for sure. A big fan of danger. Hey, uh, supposing, I mean, is there a possibility that you might want to eat company on your dangerous adventure? Uh, Grayson. I mean, we get on well enough. It might be kind of nice to meet your kids, your mom, if that's not weird. Oh man, that's super weird. Not weird at all. It's, it's very sweet. Yeah, well, you're, you know, cool. Leaving so soon, Sullivan. Ah! Man, will you stop that? Probably not. Yes, old man. I'll be taking off. Well, you wouldn't want to leave without this, would you? Can't hurt to have protection. My knife. I didn't lose it. You must have dropped it. But I was just... Just what, Sully? Just thinking about it. Sometimes things simply disappear, Sully. Things and people. Anyway, good luck and toodaloo. Come on, Grayson, we've got work to do. But she wasn't gonna smooch you know how, kiddo. Now shoo. She might have. It's true. Goodbye, Catherine. Remember, the green mold is edible, but the white mold will eat your bones. Thanks, old man. Jeez. My girls. Oh, my beautiful, sweet sisters. Shh. Little sister, let me taste your story. Tell me where the new queen is. I knew it! Ah! Steven, you're you're on guard duty, that's right. I've been watching you, Sullivan. Who wouldn't? I'm a handsome lady. I knew Dale didn't sabotage that incinerator. What? Of course he did. He was a traitor, a, a patsy for the tower. Don't try. I've seen the way you look at bugs. You're real talky all of a sudden, aren't you? Don't try to talk around it. I know what you are. An ant in a woman's suit. Steven, I'm offended. That is by far the silliest thing that I've... Nobody will be surprised to find you here, Steven. They'll realize you went missing and they'll find your corpse... Locked in combat with this ant. And they'll call you a hero. Which is what you wanted to be anyway. All right, pheromones. Show me where the queen is. I... No. And how does it feel to be right, sweetheart? Bye-bye, Stephen. Okay. Pheromones say... That away. The ants go marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. The ants go marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. The ants go marching one by one. A mother's work is never done. And they all go marching down to the nest so that I 
find the queen. Oh. Hello, my beautiful sister. How are you? It's me, Sully. Your nursemaid. Don't you remember me? I fed and cleaned you. And I fed and cleaned a thousand, thousand of your sisters. <laughs> yes, hi, honey. I'm a friend. Are you looking for your mother? I am too. The great mother. Our queen. We can find her together. And then, little sister, vengeance. Oh, no. You gotta go, darling. Humans in the tunnel. Now! Go, sister, run away! Please, they'll kill you. Oh. Miss, stay perfectly still. I will distract the ant, okay? Yes! Oh, God! Please help me! I'm so scared! Hello! Hello, Ant! Yoo-hoo! Look at me! Over here! Look at my movement! Stay! 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 Yeah! What did you do? There's an exposed ganglion between the petiole and the post-petiole. Strike an ant in the right place and she simply... skitters off. To put it bluntly, it spooks them. But look at me rambling on. Are you all right, miss? I am now. Thank goodness you found me. Yes, indeed. My name is Dora. What's your name, dear? I'm Catherine Sullivan. But everyone calls me Sully. (laughs) Called me Sully. Are you alone, too? New friend? No, Sully. There are many of us. You won't be alone again. Here come our friends now. How did you end up in this ant tunnel? I was with the Hendersonians in Field 3. It was a terrible fight, and I got so turned around. I don't know anything about fighting. I'm just a scientist. All I wanted to do was see the geoship launch. Well, everyone, this is Sally. Hi, Sally. I'm sure we're not far from the putrescible fields. Would you like us to take you there? Where were you going? We are looking for the queen of the ants. And when we find it, we're going to bash its head in. Oh, we are going to try to communicate with it, Simon. Uh. What is that? Oh, that is Emerson. (coughs) He's my dog. Well, I'm his human. (coughs) Aren't you a handsome fellow? Uh. Whoa. You probably smell like the ants. Do not be offended by his standoffishness. We'd be screwed six ways from Sunday without him. Dog's got a nose on him like a metal detector. He knows where the ants are and where they aren't. It's incredible, aren't you, boy? (laughs) I could make your nose do that. Not a chance. No, I mean, I could actually do that. I believe you. You know, the queen of the ants might just be intelligent enough to communicate with human beings. How'd you know that, stranger? You got some weird, uncanny sympathy with them six-leggers? What? Oh, come on, Simon. Did you used to sit around grooming your little pupas? Pupae. Are you a secret agent of the ant people sent forth to infiltrate our ranks and act as a fifth column? No. I'm an ant scientist. It was my job to know how they work. Nice to meet you, too. Simon, get a grip on your sick fantasies. She's just an ordinary policy. Jeez, guys, jump down my throat, why don't you? 
Simon, you really must work on accepting new pack members. Not every person is a threat. I know, but they might be. It's awfully impolite, Simon. Apologize to our new friend. Oh, so now I'm the asshole. Fine, whatever. Miss Sullivan, I apologize for accusing you of running a false flag operation and plotting to kill all humankind in the service of the ant bastards. I accept your apology. Now, why were you going to find the queen? We're trying to stop the infestation. If we can talk to her, we'll use diplomacy. If there's no negotiating with her, we use other methods. It would be very useful to have one so experienced in ant lore on our very important mission. How could I refuse? My family might be in one of these disused warrens, and believe me, I'm in no mood to travel alone. There's safety in numbers. Okay, Emerson, which way has the strongest ant smell? (coughs) On we go, then! I, for one, am elated to make the acquaintance of a scientist who's devoted her life to studying these fascinating creatures. What do you know about colony dynamics? All right. I like to think of it this way. An ant colony is like a corporate bureaucracy, but without any of the paperwork. Every worker ant has their own prescribed role, which changes depending on their age, size, and feeding style. And that's how Oh, be careful, friends. Could Dora, Elizabeth, West, Simon, and even the dog Emerson be endangered by traveling with Sullivan, the notorious ant lover? Who's to say? You never know who someone might truly be when first you meet. Why, when I was just a boy, I reported my very own Tunnel Scouts leader to StreetSafe for suggesting we learn to make our own food. The very idea. When we met, I had no idea he was such a subversive. As you well know, self-sufficiency is impossible, for only the company sustains us. Cling fast to that truth, and join us next week as the story of our fair city continues. Loyal Policies, this is executive producer Jeffrey Gardner welcoming you back to the second half of season six of Our Fair City. If you want to support the show, head over to iTunes and give us a star rating and review. Those are incredibly helpful in spreading the word about the show. You can also support the show monetarily by going to ourfaircity.com and clicking the donate link. Every bit helps us feed our actors, power our microphones, and keep our mole people's coffee cups full. If you're in the Chicagoland area, we'll be performing a brand new live show at the Fringe Festival in Jefferson Park. Stay tuned to our social media or website for more updates on that. Thank you again so much for your support, and as always, we'll see you in the tunnels. So that was Our Fair City, Raise Your Glass, and Mm. Misfits Audio, Oh Where, Oh Where Can She Be? Another Mm -hmm. cracking double feature to keep season season 11 going. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, because last week was was a brilliant start. I I mean, with Strangeness in Space, uh, it's it's very much a product of my childhood, in a way, because you've got Trev and Simon, who were, um, they were on Going Live. It was the, the Saturday morning show. That, that oh, kids really? watched Trev and Simon, and of course Sophie Aldred was ace in Doctor Who uh, right, with Sylvester yes. McCoy. So though, having those three together uh, on on oh. a show is 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 
you know, it's my childhood. Um. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, and 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 for me, it's it's not it's not the Sonic Society without starting with a Red Panda or a Dakota Theater <laughs> show of some sort. <laughs> so that yeah, no, and we're just moving on. We have, I mean, we we packed the 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 Sonic Society up for at least three months now. Mm-hmm. Keep sending us your shows and your ideas to sonicsociety at gmail Keep coming to the website sonicsociety.org. Check us at the Facebook group. Find us on Twitter, The Sonic Society, and of course... And of course, uh, I'm at at AstroTour2010, or you can get uh, Jack on at JackJamieWard. There you go. Actually, it's just Jack J. Ward. Jack J. Ward. I do apologize. That's that's why I haven't been... That's why all my messages haven't been getting to you. (laughs) There you go. We'll see you next week. Yes, yes. Right here on The Sonic Society. Good night now. Good night now. The Sonic Society is written and produced by Jack J. Ward and David Ott, with original music provided by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society through Creative Commons licensing. The Sonic Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC, proudly presents Wrinkly's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkly. Hello, I'm Robert Brinkley. Tonight, I bring you some of the weirdest, the strangest, the oddest stories you've ever heard, but they're all true. Believe it or forget about it. We begin with the tale of Miss Junie May Kabonga. Junie May was only 16 years old when, on a safari in the wilds of Africa, her head was inadvertently lopped off at the shoulders by her father's own machete. But... It was another five years before she, or anyone else for that matter, noticed. Of course, by that time they were back in England and it was too late for them to return for poor Junie May's head. Nevertheless, she married a prominent physician and they had several children together. Everybody said that, aside from the prolonged silence, they hardly noticed any difference in Junie May's personality. Believe it or forget about it. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Paris Theatre. Wrinkly's Believe It? Or forget about it. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.